right. Everybody enjoy the praise team this morning. Music, worship was good, right? I love it when I sense the anointing of God in the house. Amen? Isn't that good? That's so good. How about Wednesday night? Those of you that came for our special annual Thanksgiving dinner uh, Wednesday night. Oh, man, that was so good. I'm still suffering from that one. Uh, you know what I mean? That's all right. Hey, baby, how you doing? You doing all right? That's good to see you. Hey, listen, you know what? A couple weeks ago, uh, we had a baptism, and Sister Barbara, where's Sister Barbara at? Is she here? Where's she at? Oh, she just went out. Okay, well, she'll come back in here in a minute. But, man, it's so good to have each and every one of you in the house. And I want to just ch chat. You know, Wednesday night was so incredibly awesome. I just enjoyed that. I think last year, how many we have last year? It was about 76 or something like that last year. And so this year we set up, what, 97 tables or something like that, 96? Uh, chairs. I'm talking about chairs. 97 chairs. What do I say? Oh, I said tables? <laughs> We're on mega church. No, just kidding. But anyway, that's all right. That's, hey, that's on the way, man. That's, that's, I'm a prophet. No, but we'll see if it comes true. But anyway, uh, but hey, listen, no, but, but for real, we had like 97 chairs, right? And then we had so many people, we had to pull out more tables and chairs. So, and it was crowded over there, right? Man, I like a crowded room, man. That felt so good, you know. The Lord was in the house, man. We delivered his word, and we delivered the turkey, man. And uh, everybody, let's give it up for our kitchen crew. They did such a wonderful job. Woo-hoo! I think that's a keeper, don't you? I think it's, a, it's very much a keeper. But, but last, a couple weeks ago, we baptized Sister Barbara Ingram. Sister Barbara, why don't you come on down here? And uh, she had given her heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ and hadn't followed in baptism. And so... And this is for you, sister. We just want to thank, thank you. you for that. So it just says, in obedience to Scripture, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Was uh, Barbara Ingram was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit on November the 3rd, 2019. Amen. Isn't that awesome, man? So love you, girl. That's so awesome. Well, thank you so much. That's so good. God is so good. He's certainly good. And... Uh, I want to get to the point that we just don't have enough certificates, you know what I mean? So, I think y'all know what I mean. So, anyway, and I know that there was a couple weekends that we had several people that raised their hands, and I have yet to, I want to follow up with some of you and talk with you about your decision that you made as well. So, uh, that's uh, forthcoming. So, it's coming. So, uh, everybody happy? happy? Everybody ready to hear the Word of God this morning? Amen. What's well, Let's go to the Lord in Acts. That's right. How'd you know, sister? Man, I mean, man, Acts. No, listen, for those that are guests, we've been in the book of Acts since Easter. Since Easter. This is like sermon number 30 in the book of Acts. And I love it. I think it's wonderful as we're going through the Word of God. We're actually, I kind of, I feel like I'm adventuring with Paul and Barnabas and all of them, Peter and all of our disciples and apostles. It's like an adventure, a great adventure. And then right now we're in the middle of his first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas. And uh, we'll be in Acts 14 again today. And we're going to finish up Acts 14 today prior to Thanksgiving. And uh, so I just pray. So if you would open up your books to Acts 14, I want to pray for God just to anoint and to speak to my heart and to your heart this morning as we present the word of God. Father, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for the many blessings of life. We thank you, Lord. This is a week that we... 
uh, well, we really celebrate Thanksgiving, Lord, with friends and family, but most of all, I pray it's a week that we really humble ourselves in your presence just to thank you, or we wouldn't exist or live if it was not for you. We know, God, that you love us. You love us beyond all comprehension in our own finite little pea brains. And, Lord, you've come down to earth. You sent your only begotten son from heaven, Lord, and he came down and he would clothe himself in skin just like us. Lord, he lived a sinless life. He walked this life for 33 and a half years. Lord, the last three years of his life, he ministered to thousands and thousands and thousands. And, Lord, and he didn't stop there, Lord. He went to a rugged cross, and he laid his life down on the cross. And, Lord, and he shed his blood for the removal of all of humanity's sin. And, Lord, if we would just confess you as Lord, believe in our heart that God raised you from the dead, the Bible says that we, too, will be saved. So that's our heartbeat this morning. That's our, that's our heart burden this morning, is that every soul in the sound of my voice in this place recognize Jesus as Savior and Jesus as Lord. And God, that they would apply the blood that he shed 2,000 years ago on the cross for our sin. And we would realize that he did that already for us. He did all the work. We just have to believe he did it for us. And trust by the faith, God, that you give us. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word. We pray for Children's Church, Lord, that you touch the hearts and the lives of those precious children. God, as they teach them about Jesus this morning. Lord, teach me, teach us this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we give you praise. Touch a heart here this morning that may not know you, that before they leave here today, they come to know you as Savior of their life. And Lord, we give you praise, honor, and glory for it all. In Jesus' holy name, and all God's children said what? Amen. Amen. So, if you remember, as we've been traveling with Paul and Barnabas, uh, the last we talked about them being in Iconium, right, in Lystra, and we talked about them as they came in, uh, Paul would preach, and then persecution would happen, right? And then Paul would preach again, and then persecution really would happen where Paul was actually stoned and dragged out. So we're going to pick up in verse 19 of chapter 14, and we'll press through to finish out chapter 14 this morning. Y'all got your seatbelts on? Y'all ready? All right, let's get to traveling. Here we go. Verse 19, Acts 14, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After this disciple surrounded him, listen, he got up and went into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. That is a miracle. When you say, amen, look at this. The apostle Paul was stoned and then dragged out of the city, leaving him for dead. After the disciples surrounded him, I believe they were praying for him earnestly. Paul rises up, dusts himself off, and what does he do? He goes back into town where he was stoned. Isn't that amazing that he would do that? And then they leave and they head for a little place called Derby. Now let's pick up in verse 21. After they had evangelized that town and made many disciples, this is in Derby, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. Strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Now listen, Paul and Barnabas returned after evangelizing and witnessing in Derby and many people getting saved. 
Now they're starting to retrace their steps back through the cities in which they came through. This is very interesting to me that they would do this, right? So they go back to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, Pisidia. All right, this is the different Antioch, not the main church Antioch on the mainland. This is Antioch, Pisidia in Galatia. This is where this is at. There was a purpose behind retracing their steps, and the purpose was important enough to go back to where Paul had been stoned. That's something to really think about this morning. That's amazing. This must have been very, very important to Paul. You know why? Because it was important to the Spirit of God that Paul go back. Would we go back, listen, to fight, to that fight of persecution where we ran from? Would we go back into persecution, the possibility of persecution? No, I mean, come on, you were taught all your life that there's trouble somewhere. You don't go to it. You, you get away from it, right? But the Spirit of the Lord and Paul's submissive to the Spirit of the Lord causes him to go right back to the place from where he was stoned. Paul is definitely led by the Spirit. And we know he's led by the Spirit because in Acts 16, verse 6, listen to what it says here. Because it's in Acts 16, 6, he was fixing to go to Macedonia. It says, they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia and were prevented by who? The Holy Spirit from speaking the message in Asia. So we know the Holy Spirit is leading Paul. And the Holy Spirit will lead you. And the Holy Spirit will lead me. If we will allow the Holy Spirit and not quench the Spirit of God. Is the Spirit of God speaking to your heart this morning? Does the Spirit of God speak to your heart on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday? Do you give him time? Do you hear his voice? Do you submit to the authority of the Holy Spirit of God inside your heart and life as a believer? It's important for us to do that. Our whole life needs to be guided. We must. It's essential that we're guided by the Spirit of God. must guide our footsteps. He will guide us, but when we go our own way, then we rebel against it. And the Bible says that's as a sin of witchcraft when we ignore what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. And I don't want to be called a witch. How about you? <laughs> so it's important for us to tune in to the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, a lot of times churches don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. You don't see that a whole lot. And sometimes we talk, and some churches talk about it too much, and they get a little out of control. Uh, not little, but a lot out of control. And so I just want us to think about it. The Holy Spirit does not do anything in confusion. The Holy Spirit is there to lead you and to guide you into all truth, right? And so and that's what we want him to do. This is what's happening to Paul as we look here. So the purpose of retracing their steps, you might want to fill in the blanks on your fill in the blanks there. Number one is to strengthen the disciples. How many of you need strengthened from time to time, right? You're here now. You're here to be strengthened by a holy God, right? And I'm so glad that you're here to be strengthened. We all need to be strengthened. This is why we do church. This is why we, have, we do Bible study. This is why we have personal devotion time. Why? This is why we have fellowship. This is why Wednesday night, I thought Wednesday night was so good, I got up there and I was reading out of Psalms 100. We went through and you guys were like shouting and like talking back and I was like, wow, this is awesome. You could just sense the presence of God in the house. The church meets together when the church meets together. Listen, and we're in unity to one another and to a holy God. Listen, it's a sweet, sweet fellowship. It's a sweet time. It's a sweet thing. It's one of those things where it's like God puts you in it. Sometimes this is why I describe, I'll get up here and I'll get to preaching and the Holy Spirit just kind of grabs a hold of me a little bit and I feel like I'm in a zone. And when I think about a zone, I think about a Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, Paul, I mean Peter and Paul and Mary, right? And so he, <laughs> Peter, James, and John, where did my mind go? 
Okay, Holy Spirit. All right, where are you? So anyway, so Peter, James, and John, and I never even listened. I never even listened to Peter, Paul, and Mary. I never did. I really didn't. So where did that come from? But anyway, Peter, James, and John went to the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, and one of the things I love is when Peter says, Lord, they see Jesus in his glorified state and condition. And Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And then he continues talking. He should have stopped right there. Right? He said, let's build an altar here for Moses and Elijah and for you. See, Jesus is not on the same plane as Elijah and Moses. Jesus stands alone. And so, and so, and so, and so of course, they sent back. But that zone, that time, that's a place where you don't want to leave. So, and I'm waiting for that day when y'all don't want to leave here ever. You know, it might come, I don't know, I'm looking for it. But anyway, but it's so good. They, they're there to strengthen the disciples, and our fellowship was a night, was a way for us to be strengthened in fellowship. And listen, and how, how, are we, how are we strengthened? By encouraging them. That's how they did. They went back, and they encouraged all these disciples in these various towns of which they came through, and many were saved. These are the beginnings of these small individual churches, local churches in these places, and it's a really encouraging thing. By encouraging them how? In the faith. Encourage them in the faith. Listen, for some of them, it was the first time they ever heard uh, not, not just Jewish scripture, but the first time they've heard the gospel message. And they give their life to Christ. So their churches begin in those little small areas, and it's really a, kind of a cool thing to see that. And they encourage them in the faith. The faith in what? The faith in the truth of the gospel. The gospel is what? Jesus is what? Death, his burial, and his what? His resurrection. And man, I'm telling you, I mean, I mean, that is the message. That is our message to society when we go out and no matter where we go. Also, in number four, it says, and, 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 and this is something else that they said in this passage of scripture, and they said that, that what they were telling them, that persecution was part of it. When you look at that, it says, this is necessary to pass through what? Many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. And then number five, I like this, and that's why I added this on here. The fact is, we are what? On our way. Listen, listen, that's, that's an absolute. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the absolute is you are on your way to where? To the kingdom of God. You are on your way. And that's what they, and that's, that was their focus. That, you know that was Paul's focus. His focus was looking to heaven, looking to heavenly places. Listen, looking to heaven, seeing Jesus at the right hand of the Father. His prize was to reach the finish line and get to heaven. That's our prize as well as believers. And we need to focus on that, especially in those times when things come against us and things are hard and things are difficult. I promise you, things are going to be hard and difficult. Right, Sister Linda? I know you struggle with your foot there, you know, and a lot of other things, I'm sure. And so there's a lot of us that struggle. We struggle in different ways. And, but listen, listen, don't lose heart. It's coming. Eternity is coming for the believers to be with Jesus for all, all eternity. So the fact is we have a real destination. Listen, where Christ himself dwells. We get to go. How awesome is that? We get to be with the Savior. We get to be with our families that are waiting on us to come and be with them. It's going to be awesome. It's an absolute. Listen, though, here's the thing. We're not there yet, right? So we have a responsibility down here before we get there. But we've got to be focused that we're going to get there, but there's some things that we've got to do down here. And so we're going to talk about that, okay? Y'all following me? 
I said put your seatbelts on. This is going to be good. Listen, there is a cost. There is, everybody say cost. cost. To our discipleship. There is a cost to our discipleship. And this is the point. As we see Paul return to where he was brutally stoned in the previous days and was left for dead. He was all in to Jesus. He was all in to Jesus. Are we all in to Jesus? Is Jesus all in to us? Does he have all of you? Every bit. You can't hold nothing back. Jesus knows. If you're holding back, Jesus knows you're holding back. You can't pick and choose. You can't be this way and then that way, right? And so he says, listen, are we all into it? So here's my first question that's on your sheet. Within the call to be his disciple, if you're saved, you're called to be his disciple. How do we discern? How do we know the cost and count that cost in each of our individual callings? How do we do that? We are all called to something. To serve within where? The body of Christ. We're all called to do that. You may not know what that calling is yet. And many of you here maybe don't. Maybe you've lived for 70 years and you've never, you've never heard. You've never heard from God or maybe you just didn't hear it. Maybe in your life you were so busy you just didn't hear God's call on your life to certain things. I'm not saying not everybody's called to preach. But you're called. God didn't make you for nothing. Right? He didn't make no junk. So get that out of your head. You can't do enough wrong where Jesus doesn't love you anymore. Jesus loves you for how long? Forever. He loves you the same what? How about today and forever? Jesus' love never diminishes, never changes. He loves you. Be encouraged. He loves you. I don't care what you've done. He loves you. He wants you to turn to him. Be bent towards him. He wants you to rest in him. In Jesus himself, rest in him. You may not know what that calling is. But that's why we are doing all the things that we do here at the Hills Campus together in our fellowship. So why? So that, listen, you too can discover what God's supernatural calling is and gifting to your life. This is why we must be present. This is why we must be, God is a present God. Right? He is our ever-present help when? Time of need. Whether it's in need or not in need. He is our ever-present help. And he's present here with us and with you right now. He's here. He's in the room. He's here. This is why we must be present, and not only present, but listen, here's something else that God wants us to do. Jesus wants us to, but searching. You should be sitting here searching as we are serving to bring glory and honor to the Lord of glory. That's why you're here. My second question, listen to this. The second question I have is most significantly, how do we count the cost in advance when we do not know what cost will be required of us in the end? We must look at Jesus' words in Luke 14, 28. Jesus is speaking out of his own lips. It can't get any closer to God than this. Amen? Look what he says in Luke 14, starting at verse 28. He says, for which of you, Jesus speaking, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. 
Jesus is calling people to follow him in discipleship. He's calling all of us, you and me, all of us, to follow him. And then he's reminding them that it's like building a tower that you don't want to leave half finished because you don't have enough commitment to or enough resources to finish it. This is what the cost of following Jesus is like this. And he, he's trying to warn us. He's trying to, so he says, be sure to count the cost before you sign up for discipleship with Jesus. Before you get saved, count the cost. Because it's costly. It costs a lot of money. He says, I don't want you to sign up naively and be surprised later when the cost is very high. He doesn't want you to be surprised at what it's going to cost you to follow Jesus. Our idea of Christianity, listen, this is the way we want our Christianity to be. Watch this. I don't know sign language right now. But y'all know what that is, right? What? All you ladies? So how many of you watch Hallmark movies this time of year? Right? I just want to see how many. How many ladies? Come on, raise your hand. Keep them up. Don't be embarrassed. Oh, aren't they wonderful? Aren't they sugary, wonderful Hallmark movies? Aren't they wonderful, right? How many guys watch Hallmark movies? Let me see your hands. <laughs> Not as many ladies, but that's all right. That's say, I watch them. I do. I see them. I see them. But you know the fascinating thing for me in those Hallmark movies? It's the same story. Different people. I'm like, I know the end before I see it, Right? We go in there, we watch this, boy meets girl, comes into town on his motorcycle, and it's in the snow on the ground, he's on a motorcycle. Something wrong with that boy right there, I tell you. Something wrong with that boy. He comes in there like Terry, that's something Terry would do, I think, right in there. But anyway, he's, he goes into town, he meets girl in a church somewhere, you know, and like, oh, they look at each other across the pew. You ever done that here? Look across, you see somebody, ooh, ooh, right? So, and then it begins, right? So it begins, right? So it happens, right? And so, and so, hey, it's a great place to meet people, right? In church, right? Providing that they know Jesus, right? First priority, right? So, so they do that, you know, and they, and, they, and they do it, and then all of a sudden, what happens? What's the story? What comes into the, the life between the two that just met each other? Some other boyfriend, some other girlfriend, they come in, right? And they're like, not so much, right? They're not so much, right? They're like... Oh, and you can see it on her face, like, oh, but I'm with him. I want to be with this new guy. I don't want to be, and you see all that, right? It's all, and then the story is that at the end, they live like happily ever after. They finally get up with the one that they want to really be with. It's all right. It's all good. The truth comes out about the other person they were dating that they weren't so much and, and all that stuff and everything. It's like happily ever after. Yeah, see, I do watch them. I do watch Hallmark movies sometimes. But here's the thing is, Christianity is not like a Hallmark movie. That comes later. And listen, and it can't even compare to Hallmark. Heaven cannot compare to a Hallmark movie. There is no happily ever after. Listen, when it starts off in the beginning, excellent, awesome, wonderful. In the beginning, heaven, and it never ends. I hope you're going. You know Jesus, you're going, I know something better than a Hallmark movie, so quit watching them. Think about heaven. Heaven. 
The problem here with this scripture we're talking about the tower is that it is sandwiched between the very verses that answer those two questions that I proposed to you earlier. To give Jesus' answer, I want us to back up two verses and go forward three, three verses, okay? So follow me. Luke 14, look at verse 25 through 27. Listen, Jesus gives the answer to that question about the tower, about counting the cost. This is so important, so vital for you to hear this. It's important for every one of us to take this very seriously. Number one, Jesus is speaking. Number two, this, we know as Jesus is speaking, this is the word, the living word of God. There's no error in it whatsoever. When Jesus talks, does he mean what he says? Amen, he sure does. Some of us learn the hard way. Say, so you can either listen and learn, or you can what? You can live and learn. And living and learning is much harder. I, I must tell you, I must confess to you, I know. Living and learning is very tough. Listen and learn. Listen to the, don't listen to me, listen to God's Spirit touching your heart this morning. Make sure He's touching your heart. Listen to what it says. Now, great crowds were traveling, verse 25, with Him. Great crowds were traveling with Him. So He turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, it says, He cannot be my disciple. You think he really meant that? We're going to talk about that for a minute. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not hear, bear his own cross. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So here's the question we're going to answer. How do you count the cost when you don't know what's coming in your life? How do you count the cost? Pastor, how do you count the cost? The answer is that Jesus requires upfront. Not in the middle of your walk, not in the end of your walk, but up front. When you give your life to Jesus, Jesus requires up front a commitment to the highest possible cost, whatever that may be for your life. And we all have a different walk. God has a different plan, different, different, different design plan for you and for all of us. Foundationally, it's all the same. To bring glory to God and make much of Jesus. But it's up front. It's an upfront commitment. It's not like, well, I think I'll do it today. Or I'll think halfway through my life, oh, I think I'll start reading my Bible today. It's not that. It's upfront cost. It's an upfront commitment to Jesus, to the highest possible cost. He requires commitment to the highest possible cost to you. And nothing, listen, and this is the beautiful thing is, and nothing later when you do this, when you follow through with this, then nothing later is going to surprise you than because you've already totally sold out to the highest and most excessive cost. Think about that. You don't need to know the specifics of the cost in your own particular case. If the agreement you sign is, I'm yours, Jesus, at any cost. And that is exactly what these verses are saying to each and every one of us. Isn't it? It is. I promise you it is. The first extreme language is this. I'm calling you to something that is going to look like hatred of wife and children and parents. And the second extreme language is I am calling you to get on a cross, which means a willingness to die an excruciating death. He calls all of us to this. 
It's not just a metaphor. It's a cross. Think about that. This is hard. Meaning, join me. This is what Jesus said. Join me on the way to martyrdom. This is what Jesus is saying. Join me on the way to martyrdom. So counting the cost of discipleship means realizing, listen, that authentic discipleship listen, may cost from you the highest price relationally and the highest price physically. Are you willing to pay that price? We've got to be serious about counting the cost to follow Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus is going to call us to do things. And if we're willing to pay the highest price possible, listen, there will be no surprise in your life what you go through. I don't care what sickness you go through, whatever. If your life is surrendered to Jesus, listen, what if, when we die, listen, when we die to ourselves, we get saved. Like when Miss Barbara went through the baptism waters, what's that a symbol of? <laughs> yeah, death to yourself, going under, sin, nature, gone. Come back up, purified by the blood of Jesus, right? You're being baptized in the blood of Jesus. And I want you to think about it, because that is very, that's dying to yourself. He says, we, we need to die to ourselves, take up our cross daily, right? We need to do that. So this is very, very, very serious. It doesn't mean that you hate your wife. It doesn't mean that at all. And we're going to see later what this is what it means. And, then, and now let's go to the other side of the text and jump forward three verses. Jesus ends the paragraph like this in Luke 14, 33. He says, in the same way, therefore, Every one of you who does not say goodbye to all his possessions cannot be my disciple. How do you misunderstand that? <laughs> That's tough, right? He said, listen, there are two absolutes in that sentence alone. Two absolutes. One is found in the phrase, everyone. This applies to every single disciple of Jesus. Do I have disciples in the house? Right? If you're blood-bought, you know Jesus, your Savior, this, you are everyone. Every single one. This applies to everyone, not just a select few. Every one of you who does not say goodbye to all he has. That's the first absolute in that sentence. See it? Circle it. The other absolute is found in the word all. All, and you've heard this before, pastors get up here and say, the Greek word for, meaning for all is what? all it's everything it's all things you must renounce all that you have to be my disciple that's what jesus out of his own mouth is saying here your resources may stay in your care as a manager a steward but you must be ready at any time to let go of some things for jesus no everything for jesus it's not some things it's all things it's important for us to get this. This is hard. This is tough. We've got to ask ourselves, are we willing to give up everything? Are we willing to let go of everything for Jesus' sake? Think about the rich young ruler that approached Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus tell him, church? He said, go and do what? Sell all that you have and give to the poor. Come follow me. What did the Bible say the rich man did? He walked away with his head down because he couldn't give up his riches. Are you that rich man this morning, a rich woman? Because we're rich. We're rich this morning. We may not think we're rich. But if you took the whole encompassing globe as we see it, 
half our population in the world lives on two bucks a day. It's the truth. Two dollars a day, half the population of the world lives on two dollars a day. We are filthy, stinking rich, right? I mean, we really are. God has blessed this nation and blessed us. We are rich beyond most half the population's imagination. Been to places, I've been to places in Africa, poor, destitute places, and then people have no clue how rich we are. They know we are because everywhere I go, people know about the United States of America, and they love America. They want to be just like America. We're a very powerful, wonderful nation. We're misguided. Sometimes we're on the wrong path. Most of the time we're on the wrong path. We need to be on God's path as a nation. And that's the truth. So, how do we count the cost in advance when we don't know what the cost will be in advance? The answer is you assume the cost could be total. All possessions given up. All relationships given up. All of life given up. That's the expectation that Jesus calls for. Answer the call. Answer the call of Jesus and see what he does in your life. See where he takes you. See what he does through you. See what he does in your life. Sometimes I, I was looking, talking to Nina last night, I said, what's better, to have your kids in the temporary life or have your kids for eternity? And sometimes we have to think about that because I love my kids. I love my kids. I love my kids enough that I wanted to obey Jesus and move to Florida and leave them behind. <laughs> you said that too happily. <laughs> I was sad. When I left, I was sad. I really was. We were sad. That, that was almost a showstopper for Sister Deneen, I must tell you. She said, oh, I can't leave my kids and my grandbabies. I know. I know. I know. They do. This is true. They do. Well, here's the thing. In other words, listen, there's no negotiating here with Jesus. There's no calculating. There is no saying, listen, well, if the cost reaches this, then I'm not interested in Jesus anymore. Because Jesus says, you can't sign up that way. That's what he says. Nobody signs up for 70%, do you, of what he requires? You've got to sign up for all of what he requires. Disciples are all in. Or they're not all in. There's no gray area. There's no in-between. There's no, well, I'll serve him today, and I'll not serve him tomorrow. There's none. You're either all in or you're all out. It's one way. There's no gray area. And that's hard. Some people will say, no, that, what? What is the point of that? The point is, Jesus wants to use your life for his glory and for your good. And if you want good in your life, I would tell you, I would charge you to follow you, give surrender your whole life to Jesus, all of it. Disciples are all in. They are. Let's make sure we get this right perspective because just a few, listen, paragraphs earlier in this same chapter, Jesus said, after he laid down some pretty high cost, he says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Look at Luke 14, 14. Look what he says in Luke 14, 14 before he lays down this cost. He says, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the what? The resurrection of the righteous. Glory. There is no cost that you can pay in following Jesus that won't be made up to you a thousandfold in the resurrection. 
There is nothing you can do. Surrender. And we need to remember Matthew 13, 44. Look at Matthew 13, 4. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied it. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. A man sees and sells everything he has, everything he has to get that treasure. In other words, all the so-called costs and all the so-called losses, everything are nothing compared to the gains of having Jesus, the greatest treasure of all. So yes, we must count the cost in order to be a disciple. The cost is total in principle and maybe total in actual experience. In the end, having Jesus means gain. It's gain. It's gain. And like Paul says in Philippians 3.8, this is what he says in 3.8, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth or dung or poo-poo. That's what he's saying there. So that I may gain who? Christ. The point is, if discipleship is not, listen, if it's not dangerous, it may not be discipleship. Discipleship, there's a cost, and it costs us everything. How much did it cost Jesus to buy us back? It cost him everything on a cruel cross, excruciating pain on a cross. But look, listen to this. But if we endure to the end, it will be very rewarding. Listen, in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, he says listen, for out of our monetary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable weight of glory. This is temporary. Life is a, and we're gone. And it's here for us to make a decision. For Jesus or not for Jesus. You have a choice. Let's move on to verse 23. When they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Look, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders as they were going back through every church. They were setting the organization of the church, the structure of the church up. And they were appointed. They appointed elders in every church. They prayed and fasted. These were specific detailed prayers for the leadership and the building up of the saints of the body of Christ. Then the apostles also committed these elders and leaders to the Lord or under the charge of Jesus. That's what it means to commit them to the Lord. Under the charge of Jesus. The greatest thing you as a body can do is pray, pray, pray for all of your leaders. And we have leaders. When I came, we didn't have anything. There was no structure here, really. And we started. And so I asked one of our men, I said, give me, a, give me like seven of the most holiest guys in this congregation. And so we meet on Thursdays. That's what we do. So I took the model directly from what Paul did. And so we've been establishing structure ever since we've been here. And God's been blessing the effort of being obedient to his word. And that's what we want to continue doing. We have a long way to go. And maybe a short time to get there. I don't know. <laughs> but, but it's true. We want to do things in order, decent and in order. It's important for us to do that. Look at verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. After they spoke the message in Perga, then they went down to Italia. Listen, they went through to further evangelize and to train, encourage, and nurture them in righteousness. 
They were the cheerleaders of the church, Paul and Barnabas. And they're training them in the righteousness. Training them. Look at verse 26. It says, From there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. They finally sailed back to the original Antioch, or the hub church from which they were sent out from. Their first missionary journey completed. It says in verse 27, after they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Isn't that awesome? Because of that, you and I sit here today saved in Jesus, if we know him as Savior. They reported, which means they had a what, church? A business meeting. <laughs> right? Did they not have a business meeting? Right. They did. That's what we're fixing to have. Our very first business meeting, December 4th, is going to be in here. And come here so we can report what's going on, what God is doing in this place. Gathered everyone together. Don't miss it. They shared everything that God had done. Everything that God had done through them delivering his word, all the experiences, good and bad, I'm sure. Elevating Jesus, making much of him and less of themselves. Also to show how God operated. How did God operate? He, he, he healed people, right? His word through them, they were the tools of God's trade. They were used Paul and Barnabas to bring the word with might and power to touch and see people's lives saved. Also, they shared how the Old Testaments, the Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus Christ by power, his eternal providential power. Thousands of years earlier, prior to these events ever taking place, they were made known to the Jews, we know. Also, see, all the discipling that took place in these new established churches, they were discipling them. They went back into danger to train them in righteousness, to prepare, to establish these churches. Look at verse 28. And then they spent a considerable time with the disciples in Antioch. Why did they do that? To build each other up in the faith. That's what we do when we come together. Wednesday night, great example. What a way to build each other up in the faith. And we come together. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It says, therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up as you are already doing. Hebrews 10.24 says, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Not, saying, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Folks, Jesus is coming near. Wouldn't, it be wouldn't you like to have him find you either in here or out doing something for Jesus, right? Be ready. He's coming. Hebrews 3, verse 13. But encourage each other daily. Every day we need to encourage each other. That's what I love about this fellowship. While it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become companions of the Messiah if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, what does he say? Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, witchcraft. And then finally, Colossians 3. And I love this. I think about Thanksgiving this week. We have a lot to be thankful for. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called to one body, control your hearts, be thankful, 
Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms. Doesn't that sound like Wednesday? Hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, what does he say? Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Let your affections for one another be like your affections for Christ. That's what he's saying here. Thanksgiving Day. I want you guys to eat turkey to the glory of God. Well, hey, the Bible says it. Listen, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Listen to this. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. Amen? I'm ready to break some turkey. What about you? So let me tell you. You see, you go, so what does it mean to eat to the glory of God? How do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. How many of you like Butterfingers? Man, I like Butterfingers. <laughs> to the glory of God. I got a few of them up here. Butterfinger. There you go. Grab a Butterfinger. Who wants a Butterfinger? Who wants one? Come on. There you go, Cammy. Everyone over here. How about over here? All right, don't let it hit you in the head. All right? <laughs> that was a good, I got one more. I got one more. Who wants it? Who wants it? Who wants it? All right. All right. Oh, man, did I throw mine away? Hey, give me one back. That's messing up my illustration. Give me one back. Give me one back. <laughs> hey, that's just the way I am, right? <laughs> That's the way I am. No. But really, how do you eat to the glory of God? How do you eat to the glory of God? You trust him. You know, I think about Butterfingers. I love Butterfingers. They're good at milkshakes too, by the way. Called blizzards. But Butterfingers, man, they're good. How do you eat to the glory of God, right? Man, from one, just thinking about it, right? Makes you go, hmm. And some of you don't like this. What? No, no, no. No, this is my butterfinger. So, so you eat to the glory of God. And listen, listen. How do you do it? And I done broke mine everywhere. So, so I think about how do you eat the glory of God? You go, maybe it's the smell of the chocolate. Mm. Doesn't that smell good? That smells good. Mm. Oh, it smells good. Oh. Give it to you. Give it to you. Maybe eat the glory of God, you go, when you look at it, you go, mmm, this smells so chocolatey. Very good, very good, right? And, and, and maybe eating to the glory of God is when you, when you touch your tongue with it, like, oh, oh, Lord, this is good. This is like, mmm, mm. oh, man, that is so good. Oh, Lord, thank you. This is like, mmm. No. I'm torturing you, am I not? Yes, you are. Mm. Man, mm. when I put that in my mouth, all the juices just came alive and just like, boom, inside my mouth. Mm. Awesome. And thank God. Listen. So this week, here, baby, I'll, I'll save the most for you. So listen. This week, the glory of God. Man, listen, we have a lot to be thankful for, right? This week, when you break bread with your family and friends and whoever you're with, even if you're by yourself, 
Listen, you're never by yourself. You're never alone. Jesus is with you. The Bible says if you know Christ the Savior, he's in you, with you, and upon you. He never leaves you, never forsakes you. He never casts you out. Jesus is there with you no matter what. I want you to enjoy your time with your family and friends. I want you to do that. Denise and I are going to be here. So, hey, if you get lonely or something, holler at us. Have my phone number. If you need my phone number, I'll give it to you. All right? But I want you to think about, listen, we need to be thankful. We need to answer the call. Have you answered God's call yet? The cost for discipleship is huge. Would you agree? What does it cost, church? Everything. All. All of your life. Everything. Top to bottom, inside and out. Everything. God wants everything of you. Have you are you holding back what Jesus wants out of your life? We come here to learn what it means to follow Jesus. I just share with you what it means to follow Jesus. So don't hold back. Give your heart, your life, your soul, your whole life to Jesus. He died for that very reason, to wash away your every sin in your life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, maybe you haven't trusted Jesus. as You, you can ever think of a time in your past where you humbled yourself, whether you're on bending knee or just bowing your head and closing your eyes, and you said, Jesus, I can't do this. I need help. Lord, I've got so much junk in my life. Jesus said, I know you do. But Lord, I don't know what to do with that junk. Jesus said, I already took care of that junk for you. 2,000 years ago, I hung on a cross, and I shed my blood to wash away your every sin stain. I've already taken your sin. Can you, child, just believe that I did that just for you? Well, how do I do that, Lord? Well, just ask me by simple, childlike faith that God has given you. Ask him into your heart, into your life, to wash away your sin. He's there for you. He's always there for you 24-7, 365 days a year, after year, after year, after year. Call out to him. None of us know when our day is going to end. None of us know when we walk out these doors what's going to happen. And I'm not trying to scare you, but I'm just trying to face a reality and a fact. None of us know when our number is up, but God knows. And there's a reason why you're here this morning. God wants you to consider. He doesn't want you to consider. He wants you to take Jesus, take him as your Savior this morning. And if you've never done that, I invite you this morning, as humbly as I know how. I'm not here to make a Baptist out of you. I'm not here to make you join the Hills campus. I don't want to do that. I want to see you have eternal, everlasting life because of what he did on the cross for you. 2,000 years ago. Saints, be praying for those that may be here that don't know you as Savior. Powerful. Lord Jesus, I thank you for those that are in this room, my ear shot here. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we pray right now, God, that there's someone here that just what I described fits the bill of who they are. It's my prayer, God, that they would ask you to come into their heart right this moment. That they trust, Lord Jesus, that you died on the cross for them. And they receive your shed blood into their lives for the forgiveness of their sin. 
And Lord, that they want to turn their life around from this moment on. They want to repent. That's what it means to turn around from the direction in which they're headed. I want to change my direction, Lord, and turn the opposite way around. And I want to chase after you, Lord Jesus, with all my heart. I pray, Lord, that, Lord, if I haven't, I haven't turned my life around, I want to turn it around now and follow you, Jesus. I trust in your death on the cross for my sins. I trust in your blood for the removal of my sins. And I trust in your resurrection for life everlasting. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Save me right now. I thank you, Jesus, for saving my life right now. In Jesus' name. And with every head bowed and everybody closed, if that was you this morning, if you asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to change your life, to save you, that's the first step. And if you did that this morning, I would ask you to do something. Just show me. No one's looking around. Nobody's going to call you out. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm just going to ask you to simply raise your hand up right now and let me know you receive Christ as your Savior. Amen. God sees that hand. God sees that hand. Amen. God sees that hand. Amen. Don't fight it. God's speaking to your heart. He squeezes your heart for a reason. That's the Holy Spirit. Be obedient to it. Count the cost. It does mean everything. But he squeezes your heart because he wants you to rest in him. He will see your life through to the end, no matter what it looks like. He can change. Listen, he owns everything. He owns, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He spoke everything to existence. He knows what we need before we think or ask it. Just ask him, say, Jesus, save me right now. I thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life and into my heart. I praise you for it all and thank you for it all. But Christian, I don't know where you're at. Everybody pray for Sister Bonnie, please. Please pray for Sister Bonnie. Father, we don't know what's going on with Sister Bonnie. We know that she struggles. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you just bless Sister Bonnie right now. Holy Spirit, you just do your perfect work in her life right now. And Lord, be with those that are assisting her and Sister Jennifer. Lord, she's a PA and she knows what she's doing. And I just thank you, Jesus, for all that you do in Sister Bonnie's life. I pray, God, you would just heal her of the MS. And Lord, that you would draw it out of her. And Lord, that you'd heal her body. We plead the blood of Jesus on her life right now. And that you touch her. I praise you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for my Christian brothers and sisters. There may be those here that need to turn their life around. I pray that right now, God, that they would, that they have counted the cost and they're willing to turn everything over to you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for it all. We thank you for what you're about to do in this place, in Jesus' name. Amen, 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 amen. Well, everyone, I thank you all for being here this morning. Continue to pray for Sister Bonnie as she does struggle with uh, 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 muscular sclerosis. She struggles with MS, right? And that's what she struggles with. And just continue to pray for her, all right? And Sister Jennifer, she's our PA in the house. So thank the Lord for that. And that God always provides, right? And so we do that.